Love found a way to redeem my soul. I'm thankful that uh, I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine yesterday afternoon, last, last evening. I said, you know, what's amazing to me is that God came to seek us out. He came to find me. And, uh, I, you know, the truth of the matter is Romans tells us that even when we were uh, in sin, He commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we were lovely. He didn't wait till we sought Him. He died for us anyway. He came seeking us. And I love this song, Love Found a Way to Redeem My Soul. And I want you to think about the words of the verse as we sing it. And I hope it will be a help to your heart this morning. Let's sing it together. The wonderful love that rescued me Sunk deep in sin Guilty and vile as I could be No hope within When every ray of light had fled Oh, glorious day, raising my soul from out the dead, love found a way, love found a way to redeem my soul, love found a way that could make me whole, love sent my Lord to the cross of shame, love found a way. Oh, praise His holy name. Love brought my Savior here to die on Calvary. For such a sinful wretch as I, how can it be? Love bridged the gulf twixt me and heaven. I am redeemed, set free, forgiven. Love found a way. Love found a way to redeem my soul. Love found a way that could make me whole. Love sent my Lord to the cross of shame. Love found a way, oh, praise His holy name. Love opened wide the gates of light. To heaven's domain, where in eternal power and might Jesus shall reign. Love lifted me from depths of woe to endless day. There was no help in earth below. Love found a way, love found a way to redeem my soul. Love found a way that could make me whole. Love sent my Lord to the cross of shame. Love found a way, oh, praise His holy name. Amen. I didn't mean to miss the rest of your family there, Brother Victor. I was glad that Casey was here, but good to see everybody here. Got Smitty and George and Ryan. And uh, just the whole family, them, them fellas, I'll tell you what, you guys are looking sharp this morning on a good Easter Sunday morning. So glad to have you guys here too as well, and the whole family, such a joy. And um, looking forward to a great time together. Let's take our songbooks now, turn to number 494. Number 494, it's just like his great love, we'll sing all four verses.
The friend I have called Jesus, whose love is strong and true, and never fails howe'er tis tried, no matter what I do. I've sinned against this love of His, but when I knelt to pray, Confessing all my guilt to Him, the sin clouds rolled away. It's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to keep me day by day. It's just like Jesus all along the way. It's just like His great love. Sometimes the clouds of trouble meet in the sky above. I cannot see my Savior's face. I doubt His wondrous love. But He from heaven's mercy seat, beholding my despair, in pity burst the clouds between and shows me He is there. It's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to keep me day by day. It's just like Jesus all along the way. It's just like His great love. When sorrow's clouds o'ertake me and break upon my head, when life seems worse than useless and I were better dead, I take my grief to Jesus then, nor do I go in vain. For heavenly hope He gives that cheers like sunshine after rain. It's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to keep me day by day. It's just like Jesus all along the way. It's just like His great love. Oh, I could sing forever of Jesus' love divine, of all His care and tenderness for this poor life of mine. His love is in and over all, and wind and waves obey. When Jesus whispers, peace be still, and rolls the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to keep me day by day. It's just like Jesus. <coughs> it's just like His great love. Amen. Ms. June, thank you so much for playing today, and what a joy to have her in the service. I'll tell you, I know a lot, a lot of uh, folks that go through a lot less than she's had to go through physically that wouldn't be in church today, and I'm thankful for her faithfulness and, 
what a joy. And you see her playing the piano or the organ at different weeks. And, uh, boy, it's been a blessing. And then my favorite person that's here today, by far, is Reagan, my daughter. And we thank the Lord for her being here. And uh, right up there with her is Jonathan there in the back. And certainly I want to mention them because they, uh, they are my life. I love uh, my kids. And uh, whenever my daughter's able to be here with us, I certainly love that and enjoy her being here and appreciate her being uh, given time out of her Easter Sunday to be here with us today. Let's take our songbooks, or our songbooks, let's take our King James Bibles. Here we go. Turn to John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19. And uh, I'll tell you, I love this time of year, but I hope it's not the only time of year that we focus on the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I think we ought to think about it often and, and uh, allow it to encourage our hearts and draw our hearts closer to Him. You know, the Bible teaches us that we love Him because He first loved us. And uh, it's interesting that uh, when we begin to think on the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and we think of all that He's done for us, uh, it doesn't cause us to uh, feel like we're obligated to Him or that we have to do certain things. But it ought to draw our hearts to a place where we love Him so much that we just want to please Him. We want to do all that we can to be a, uh, uh, bringing glory to Him, pointing men to Him. Uh, I heard a fellow say this years ago, he was a preacher, and he said, you know, all that I am or all that I shall ever hope to be, I owe to the glory of God. Because the truth of the matter is, every single one of us sitting here today are just sinners. That's all. And every one of us is sin. In fact, the Bible says, if a man says he hath not sinned, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. We've all sinned, haven't we? Romans 3 tells us that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, you know, that's, that's the harsh part of, of what we have to come to grips and realize. God gave us the Ten Commandments. We were studying this in Sunday school today. And He gave us other commands throughout Scripture, not so that we could meet them in order to be saved, but He gave them to show us how perfect He was, how holy He was, and how short we fall from His standard. And uh, I'm thankful that God has a love for us so much that even though we're sinners and even though we've fallen short of the glory of God, He wants to save us. His desire is for you and I to be saved. The Bible says that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. As he says, the Bible says this, and I'm quoting it word for word. He says, uh, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I'm thankful that God looked down one day and He saw man in his imperfect condition and said, I want him to be able to spend eternity with me in heaven. So I'm going to make a way for an imperfect man to come into a perfect city called heaven and live with a perfect God for all of eternity. And He did so by sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Over 2,000 years ago, He was born in Bethlehem, lived a perfect, sinless life, the only one who ever did was crucified on the cross, not for anything he had done, but for what I had done and for what you had done. He paid our sin price for us. He paid a debt that he didn't know, and it was a debt that you and I could not pay. And he paid it for us on Calvary. He went to the death of the cross. The Bible says that he was buried in a tomb for three days and three nights. I'm thankful on that third morning he got up out of that grave and rose victorious over death and hell in the grave. Already paid the price. The price has been paid. And He offers it to you and I <coughs> freely. 
The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can go to church all you want to. You can get baptized a hundred times and still be lost and still be on your way to the devil's hell. That doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. Being baptized doesn't save you. Living a good life doesn't save you. The only way that you and I can come to saving knowledge of going to heaven, being able to go to heaven, is to come through the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith in what He has done. To trust Him that He is who He says He is, that He's done what He said He would do, and that if we'll put our faith and trust in His finished work that He did for us by dying, being buried, and rising again on the third day, if we put our faith in that and say, that's what I'm trusting to take me to heaven, His shed blood, His death, His burial, His resurrection. I'm not trusting what I can do. I'm trusting what He's already done. If we'll do that, the Bible says He'll give us a home in heaven for all of eternity. It's that simple. You just have to put faith in Him, to put our trust in Him, and that's what we're leaning on. And I uh, hope that everyone here today has trusted Him as their Savior. I know a lot of religious people that are religious-minded, live good lives, go to church. They try to treat their fellow man very well, but they're lost. They're not going to be in heaven because they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. And it's my, my heart's desire that everyone here today, when we leave this building, will have that assurance and know for sure that they're on their way to heaven. And if not, that you would get that matter settled today. You can do it today and make today the day that you trust Christ as your Savior. I sat in a pastor's home for 13 years growing up and thought I was saved for every reason under the book, uh, under heaven. I thought, you know, I'm a pastor's son. I'm in a church. I read my Bible. I tried to live a good life. Mom and Dad wouldn't let me do anything else than that. And uh, trusted a lot of other things. But when I came to a place where I realized I was a sinner, that I had violated God's law, that I needed a Savior. I needed Him to save me. I couldn't do it. I put my faith and trust in Him and what He did for me on Calvary. And I said, Lord, if, if I'm going to be saved, it's going to have to be because You've saved me, not because of anything I've done. And I asked Him to be my Savior that day, and you know what? He did. <laughs> he gave me forgiveness, and He came into my heart, and it lives with me. We sang that song this morning. How do, you ask me how I know He lives? He lives because He lives in, inside of me. He lives in my heart. There's something different when you get saved, isn't there? And I'll never forget trusting Christ as my Savior. And my whole, my whole life changed. Everything changed inside. And uh, just a difference there. John chapter number 19. <clears throat> we're going to read several verses here. Uh, down through verse number, we're going to start in verse number 1, down through verse number 27. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went, before, went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith, unto them, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, And we have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. 
and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from, hence, from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And there they crucified him, the two other with him on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest to the Jews, uh, of, of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he saith, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now his coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, Therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they, they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son, then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the truth of it. There would be something that would encourage us as Christians that would stir our hearts to love you more and more, more fully and deeper. And Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as Savior, I pray that you would work in their hearts. May your Holy Spirit bring conviction, and show them that need, that they would get that settled today before it's too late. Lord, it's your desire to save them. You love them. You want to save them. You don't want to see any of us die and go to a devil's hell. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to all understand this truth, that we would put our faith, we would trust you to save us from our sins, that the price that you have paid is enough to satisfy God in His holiness. I pray that you would help us put our faith and trust in that this morning and nothing else. There would not be anything that we were trusting to get us to heaven other than what you have done on Calvary. 
pray that you'll bless all that is said and done in the rest of this service. May you give clarity of heart, mind, and thought as we preach and as we listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Philippians chapter number 2, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Those words, when I read them in Philippians chapter 2, stir my heart in such a way because I understand and I look at, at, at man and what we are, and then I look at God and what he is. And I am reminded of what the psalmist said when he said, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy hands, the sun, moon, and stars, which thou hast ordained. The psalmist said, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him in glory and honor. And the truth of the matter is, when I understand that I am a sinner and on my way to a devil's hell before I get saved, and I look at what God did for me even while I was yet a sinner. I am amazed by that. I was talking with some folks a while back. In fact, I was talking to a preacher yesterday, a friend of mine. And I said, you know, I can't wait till I get to heaven and I get to know a lot more things than I know now. But one thing I don't know that I'll ever understand is why did God love me? Why did God love you? The truth of the reason is there is no reason that He would love us other than the fact that He loved us. I don't understand it. But I'm thankful that He did. I'm thankful that He loved us so much that He was willing to take that which He had in heaven with all of its splendor and all of its glory. And He was willing to take and lay all of that aside and come to this imperfect world and take upon Him the form of a man, be made in the likeness of a man. And the Bible tells us that while He lived in this life that He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He endured every kind of problem. He endured every kind of heartache. He endured every kind of temptation that you and I could ever go through in our lives. And yet He did not sin in all of that. I'm thankful we have a Savior today that understands the feelings of our infirmities. He, he understands what we go through. And when we come to Him in prayer with a broken heart, or we come to Him in prayer with a, a need or a burden, we don't come to a Savior who doesn't understand those things. We come to a Savior who understands them very fully because He's experienced them. He came to this earth 2,000 years ago, lived for 33, a little over 33 years. And then we've read the account as He comes and He was betrayed and put into the hands of Pilate. Pilate tries to release Him over and over again. He tries to release Him. And the people keep continuing to press the issue and say, Crucify Him, crucify Him. Pilate says, I find no fault in him. The people say, well, he's claiming to be the Son of God or uh, to, to be God, and we, we don't think that he should be able to do that. Our law says he cannot do that. He's blaspheming. Can I tell you this? It's only blasphemous if it's not true. He's allowed to claim he's God if he is. He comes and he claims to be the Son of God. He evidences that by many, many miracles. He meets every prophetic thing that's ever said about the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth in every, every point, even down to the point that they did not rip his own coat that he had. It's been prophesied many years before. They take him and they beat him mercilessly to the point where 
Isaiah chapter number 53 says he has no form or comeliness. When you looked upon him, the, the, the description that Isaiah 53 gives talks about the fact that he was very repulsive to look at. It was very difficult to look at him with your eyes. Some people gave descriptions that he could not even hardly tell that he was human, that the loss of blood had been so great before he passed away and before he was crucified that he didn't have the strength to carry his own cross. And by the way, let me help you with something. There are people that have drawn pictures and paintings of the Lord Jesus Christ as some little, small, weak, insignificant, milky-skinned fellow. This guy was a carpenter. This is a rugged man. This is a man who has strength. He knew how to hammer and saw. He knew how to build things. And this man was not, not a guy who was just a milk-skinned little uh, wimpy fellow. This is a man who took a scourge and drove the money changers out of the temple single-handedly. This wasn't somebody you wanted to mess with. And when the Bible says that he could not even bear his own cross, I want you to understand this wasn't a weakling unable to bear his cross, but because of the beating that he had already suffered physically, <coughs> because of the loss of blood and the loss of strength, he was unable to carry it the suffering that he endured. They took the crown of thorns, and we've had one of those crown of thorns here a couple of years ago at Vacation Bible School. It was made over in the Middle East. And they had thorns that were two or three inches long that when they plated them upon his head and beat them down with the reed, they would actually pierce the skull. The agony, the pain that he suffered and endured. The shame as he goes down the, uh, the uh, road to Calvary. And the people that were standing and mocking and jeering him that a week before had been laying palm branches and saying, Hosanna in the highest. Now we're standing there jeering and mocking him. They watch as they lay him on a cross, beaten and broken and bruised. They take those nails and they begin to pierce his hands and pierce his feet. They lift him up on the cross and drop him into the hole jarring his bones and pulling many of them out of socket. There's two malefactors, one on the left and one on the right. Jesus, bearing the weight of the sin of the world, hanging between heaven and earth, between God the Father and man, as our sacrifice, Look down and he sees his mother Mary. I mean, this is the Messiah. This is the one who's come to save all of the world. He's, he's, he's a little busy at this time. He's on the cross. He's bearing the sins of you and me. And down through history, all of man that has lived, he bore the price for their sins. He's fulfilling eternal destinies of Many, many folks and going through the payment of what God demanded for sin. And yet, in the midst of all of it, I fear sometimes that we think of God as loving everybody, and He does. John 3.16 tells us that, for God so loved the world. But can I tell you this? I'm thankful and I'm amazed at that verse. But you know what amazes me even more? Is that God doesn't just love the world, but He loves me. If I'd been the only sinner, he would have still come to heaven, from heaven and died on a cross to save just one. 
he gives illustration of that when he shares the parable with his disciples. And he says, what, what shepherd that has a hundred sheep, if he loses one, does not leave the ninety and nine and goes and he finds the one? If I had been the only one that needed to be saved, if you had been the only one that needed to be saved, God loved you enough that He would have gone through all of that just for you. I'm amazed as I read this story. And all of the suffering. I've, I've been sick before. I've been pretty bad sick before. I've been hurt and injured before. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a big baby. Most men are, I think, aren't we guys? And when I get sick, I mean, women never are as sick as I've been, right? And, and nor, you know, that's the way we men feel. They, they just don't know what pain, real pain is. Even though they've given childbirth, they don't understand our pain. And, you know, I, when I get sick, I don't want to talk to anybody. I, I don't want people to bother me. I just want them to leave me alone. I don't feel good. If I'm in pain, you know, I'm not sitting there thinking about what I'm going to be doing next week or something that my son needs done or my daughter needs done. I'm sitting here focused on, on me because I'm hurting. I'm in pain. And here is our Savior, beaten beyond recognition, suffering the, the physical agony of the crucifixion. And he looks down and he sees his mom, his physical human mom. And he says, I need to make sure she's taken care of. And she looked to, he looked to his beloved disciple, John, and he says, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. What an amazing Savior. In the midst of winning the, the redemption of all of mankind, he pauses right in the middle of it. We have documented in Scripture the few times that he spoke on the cross. All of them important things. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Into Thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. All of those great statements. But you know one of them that He said on the cross? Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He carries on a conversation with the malefactors. They, they carry on a conversation. One of them is cursing and saying, if you're the God that you claim to be, if you are the Son of God, then get yourself down off the cross and take us down too. Mocking him. The one on the other side of him said, you need to leave him alone. This man's a righteous man. We're here because we deserve it. And he looked to Christ he said, Remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And Jesus, in the midst of all of this crucifixion, the redemption of man throughout all of history, takes time to deal with one sinner hanging on the cross beside him. As he says, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Look with me in John chapter number 20. The crucifixion has taken place. His disciples have begged for His body. They've put Him in a borrowed tomb. Jesus said that if the temple were to be destroyed, speaking of Himself, that within three days He would raise it up again. His disciples didn't quite fully understand that teaching and He was very plain to them. 
trying to express to them that although he would die, he would raise again on the third day. In John chapter number 20 and verse number 16, uh, let's back up, I'm sorry, let's back up verse number um, Verse number 1, In the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, came first to the sepulcher, and he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lying, the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first in the, to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. Now this is Mary Magdalene. And she wept and stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus, uh, had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith, Unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. Just one word from Jesus. Jesus had risen from the dead. He meets Mary Magdalene in the garden. Now, in the midst of all of this redemption of man, the hanging on the cross, the suffering, the time that he spent in agonies, he looks to his mother and takes care of her. He talks to the benefactor, a malefactor on his one side, and tells him that he would see him in paradise and allows that man by faith to be saved. He raises from the dead and has much to do, for he's not yet ascended to his Father. You'll find that in the next verse. Verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. He had just risen. Jesus has much to do yet. He has to take his own blood that he shed on the Calvary and Go to heaven and sprinkle it on the mercy seat in heaven as a covering and as a, a propitiation, as a, as a payment, a covering for our sin. He hasn't done that yet, and so he tells Mary, don't touch me yet. But you know, this is an amazing thought to me. In the midst of all of this that Christ was doing for the redemption of man, he takes time to come into the garden and to find Mary. He calls her by name Mary, and immediately she knows who He is. You know what that tells me about my Savior? While He loves the whole world, while He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, it tells me that He loves me. And He's not willing that I should perish, but that I should come to repentance. 
Can I tell you this this morning? God loves you. Individually, He loves you. If you had been the only one, He would have died for you. He takes time out of His busy schedule. And the redemption plan that had been established all the way back, even the Bible says, before the creation of the world. He takes time to come to Mary and meet her in the garden. Look with me if you want the book of Mark. We have another account, one of the gospel accounts of the resurrection. Mark chapter number 16. And let's look in verse number 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint Him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away. For it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. that he goeth before you into Galilee. You ever thought of how Peter must have felt at this point? Peter, who said at the Last Supper, Lord, I'll not deny you even to the point of death, he said. Jesus said, no, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. Sure enough, he denies him three times. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt? Jesus, in the midst of all of this, in the redemption of man, the plan that had been set from the foundation of the earth, this great plan that God had in motion, He cares for His mother. He cares for the malefactor. He cares for Mary Magdalene. And He cares for Peter. Later on by the seashore, On the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is speaking to Peter. And he says, Lovest thou me more than these? And Peter says, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He said, Feed my sheep. He asked him again. He said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He said, Feed my lambs. He asked him again. He said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And the Bible tells us this, that Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time. It hit him all of a sudden. I denied my Lord three times, and three times my Lord has given me opportunity to express my love to Him. Jesus wanted the disciples to know that He was risen, but He especially wanted Peter to know. What an amazing Savior. That in the midst of all of this, he was concerned for Mary. He was concerned for the malefactor. He was concerned for Mary Magdalene. He was concerned for Peter. And then I want you to look with me in Luke chapter number 24. 
Luke chapter number 24. Verse number 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And behold, two of them that went that same day, this is the day that the Lord had risen from the dead. Behold, two of them uh, went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all things which they had, which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? He said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests, our rulers, delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said, He is alive. And certain of them which were with us set, uh, went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. What a statement. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake it, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Jesus, in the middle of the plan of redemption for all mankind, takes time out of his busy schedule of what he's doing. I mean, we're talking about the God of heaven putting into place the most important plan that had ever been made. Much to do. Everything had to be perfect. All the prophecies had to be fulfilled. Everything had to be exactly right. The timing. His willingness, even though He was in the flesh, to be willing to say, not my will, but Thy will be done. In the middle of all this, He's concerned for Mary. He's concerned for the malefactor. He was concerned about Mary Magdalene. He was concerned about Peter. And he was concerned. He took time to walk with two men on the road to Emmaus. I, I wonder at these things often. There were things I think that Jesus did in, these, in each of these situations 
that I believe are very, very important to us because if it had been me, if it was my plan that was working out there and all of this happened just accordingly, once Jesus rose from the dead, I would have wanted Him to make some grand appearance to millions and multitudes of people and say, I'm alive, I'm alive. But He doesn't. He comes to the ones and the twos and the individuals. And I'll tell you what it teaches me. That when Jesus was suffering on the cross, when Jesus was going through the process of being in the grave for three days and rising again, and taking His own precious blood that was perfect up to heaven and sprinkling it on the mercy seat in heaven, that His thoughts were with His mother, a sinner on the cross beside Him, a woman that had been saved out of a, a back life that was a, a terrible life, a disciple that at best was hit and miss. He was not real consistent in his life. Two men that we don't even know the names of walking down the road to Emmaus. God was concerned about each one of them. And can I tell you lastly today, God is concerned about you. Don't, don't think about the world right now. He's concerned about you. He did all of that. And He did it for you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Horrible death. That was the price we owed. He was buried and He rose again. And He gives us, He gives us freely. He holds it out and He offers it to us. Free, freely. Eternal life. He gives it to us in this book right here. I've shared this story several times in the last several weeks. Back in the 1800s when there weren't a lot of vehicles, they were still moving a lot by horse and uh, stagecoach and things like that. A man by the name of George Wilson and a partner of his uh, held a U.S. postal worker up at gunpoint, robbed him. They put his life in jeopardy. They didn't, they didn't harm him. They didn't hurt him, but they, they put his life in jeopardy. George Wilson was caught. And he was tried in court and found guilty of putting a man's life in jeopardy. And for that reason, they condemned him to death by hanging. Andrew Jackson was president at the time, and he said, he found out about it. He said, I think that's a little bit steep for just putting a man's life in jeopardy. There was no harm come to the man. He didn't die, and, and certainly no harm to him. And I think that's a little bit much, maybe... Some jail time would have been adequate, but to hang by the neck for simply putting a man's life in jeopardy. And so he wrote a presidential pardon to the George Wilson, signed it. And he sent it down to the prison, and the warden took it to George Wilson in his cell. And he said, good news, Mr. Wilson, the president has written you a pardon for your crime. And George Wilson said, I don't want it. He said, I did the crime. I deserve the punishment. The warden didn't know what to do, so he sent it to the state Supreme Court, and the state Supreme Court said, 
we don't want to have anything to do with this. This is a federal matter. And they sent it to the highest court in the land, the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court made a ruling that still stands to this day. If you go and check it out, it's still on the books. And the ruling is this. A pardon, no matter whose signature is on it, until it's received, it's just a piece of paper. And Jesus wrote you and I a pardon 2,000 years ago with His own blood. He paid the price for us. And He offers it to us. We sit here and listen to the story of George Wilson and we think how foolish a man would be to have a pardon given to him and to refuse it. And yet so often we have a pardon that's been given to us and we refuse it. Some people in this world have some, somehow in their mind gotten it that God is out to get them. Oh, no, no. God knows we're already condemned. We're already heading to hell. What He did is He came and made a way for us to escape it. He came to save us from it. He makes it very easy. He doesn't make it hard. He doesn't make you earn it. He doesn't make you work for it. He doesn't make you pay for it. It was all earned and worked for and paid for on Calvary. All we have to do is put our faith in it and say, Lord, I'm trusting You. You're the only one I'm trusting. All that You have done in Your death, Your burial, Your resurrection, all of that satisfied God's demand of payment for sin. Can You make that available to me? My answer is yes. Absolutely. I'm going to trust that. I'm going, to, I'm going to put my faith in that because it will pay for it. Nothing else we can do will pay for it. But everything that He did will pay for our sin. Have you trusted Him as your Savior today? You say, well, Brother Greg, I go to church. I've read my Bible. I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't ask you those things. I did all those things and was lost as lost could be. Have you trusted Him this morning? Has there been a time where you put your faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you? And if not, today is the day to do that. We don't have the guarantee of another day. None of us woke up this morning thinking today might be our last. I don't think any one of us gave that thought today. But I know people that have done that, woke up and never given a thought that today would be their last. And sure enough, it was. We don't have the guarantee of another breath. We don't have the guarantee of another hour. And if I ever knew the things that I know about salvation and I was lost, I had not trusted Christ as my Savior yet, I wouldn't wait another moment. I would do it right then. I would say, Lord, I'm trusting You as my Savior. Forgive me my sin. And give me a home in heaven for all of eternity. You know, the amazing thing is, He will. Isn't that amazing? That you and I as sinners can put our faith in the Holy God and what He's done for us, and He'll save us. What an amazing thought. All because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, if that doesn't make a Christian excited, I don't know what will. And if I were sitting here today and I said, you know, I don't know that I've ever done that, 
I would take today to say I'm going to, I'm going to trust the Lord today. Let Him know. Lord, I'm trusting You today. Not my, not my church membership. Not my good works. Not what I do with my life. I'm simply trusting You. Oh, what God can do through a life that will simply trust Him. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. As Christians, we rejoice in it. And what a wonderful message to look at today as we rejoice in Your resurrection, Your victory over the grave and over sin, the payment that was made on our behalf. And Lord, the amazing thing of all that we looked at this morning, something we don't normally focus on when we read these stories, is how interested you were not in the multitudes, but how interested you were in the individuals. Lord, how much you cared for each of them. And then Lord, to think this morning of how much you care for us, each and every one of us. Lord, that you loved me that You died for me, that You suffered for me, that You went to the grave for three days for me, and that You rose again for me. Lord, may we understand that today. If there's someone here that does not know You as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would put that faith in You. It's not hard. It's not something we have to work and labor at. We just simply have to make that decision that I'm going to trust you and you alone, not anything else. I'm just trusting you. For Christians today, perhaps we need to get reminded so that as we go through our days, we can rejoice in what you've done for us. That you can strengthen us and give us days of serving you, living for you, being an example to others, sharing the wonderful story with others that need to hear it. May you motivate us to do such things. We pray that you'll bless the invitation and use it as you would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we're just going to have...